0: The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Today we're uh, continuing this uh, quest for honor that we started last week. And last week we talked about uh, humility, and and what humility is, what it looks like, and and why it's important. And today we are going to talk about integrity. And I don't know about you, but when I think of integrity, I think of a banana. Uh, You guys don't? No? No? Fruit? That doesn't remind you of integrity, huh? Okay. Well, you know why? Because when when we go to the store and we buy these, what are we buying? We're we're buying a a banana peel, right? All all we see is the outside of this banana. So we go and, and we buy them, trusting that when we get home and we open them up, it, there's actually going to be a banana inside. Has ever, anybody ever gotten home and opened up a banana peel and it was empty? Yeah, you know, it never is, right? And, but I don't know. So I don't know if I really trust this banana. So, so I'm going to open it to see what's inside. And um, if you guys don't know, you can actually open a banana from the bottom. And, and it's it's a little bit easier. Like Like the monkey does. All you do is squeeze the tip and then it opens up. So if you you don't learn anything else today, you learn how to open a banana. Yeah, sweet. So yeah, look at it. There's actually a banana inside. You know what else? There's um, watermelon. When we go to the store and we buy watermelon, what do we do? You thump on it. And what are you listening for? Nothing, right? You you, you tap on it, and if if it's hollow then you buy it. You guys look like intelligent people. You do. So but what you're telling me is that you go to the store and you pick up this watermelon and you knock on it and if it sounds empty then it, it's good to go. Right? See, and, and you know what the the reason that we can trust in a banana or a watermelon is because everything that God makes has integrity. Whether it's the the cosmos, whether it's water, which is vital for life, or whether it's fruit. Everything that God makes has integrity. And and no matter what we do to try and maybe erase or forget or nullify integrity, God's integrity is still there. So today we're going to look at that. So would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you because you are integrity. And the things that you make are full of integrity. And, and despite us, despite what we do, we still find integrity in the world. And we thank you for that example that we can look to the things that you make and we can discover and learn about them and, and see why it is that they have integrity, why we can place our trust in those things, and therefore why we can place our trust in you. So Father, as we learn about integrity, I, I, begin, I, I pray that you would begin to uh, reverberate in their souls, that you would begin to call them to this life of integrity. We pray all these things in the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So integrity. Let's take a, a look at a verse. It's in Proverbs. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to look at uh, Proverbs chapter 11, and I'm going to read verse three. And it reads, Integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. I'll read it again. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Quick plug, Dan Romo is starting a men's group that's going to meet on Wednesday nights. And this verse is kind of the context or the foundation for that group. So just a quick plug for Dan, if you want to, um, it's starting this Wednesday, so if you want to learn more, see Dan, or uh, there's flyers in the back. He paid me to do that, by the way. So we see that there's, we're going to be guided by something. Either we're going to be guided by integrity, or we're going to be guided by this duplicity. And and so today I want to take a look at the two, and discover what maybe duplicity is, and what integrity is, and, and therefore what actually guides us. So what I want to take a look at first is uh, duplicity. Duplicity, if you look it up in the dictionary, you're going to see words like deceitfulness or double dealing. And and actually what what there is, is there's this this idea of fragmentation. And if some of you guys are familiar with computers, you know that on, on Windows, sometimes you would have to do what's called a defrag, a defragmentation, because you would have information scattered all over your hard drive. And so what this process would do, it would would arrange things in a logical order so that your computer would run faster. Um, Maybe something else, our community, Mosaic. We're a community of broken and fragmented people who are beautiful under the hand of God. So even in our community, we have this idea of fragmentation. And so we see that duplicity is is this deceitfulness or this multiplicity of things, this fragmentation. And maybe a a good character that we can look at and get a good idea for what it is to be duplicitous is an X-Men and the character Mystique. And and what she would do is she would take on the identity of other people, their their looks, their mannerisms, their speech, and, and she could adapt to whoever that person was and actually fool other people into believing that she was the real thing. And I think oftentimes that's what we do. Depending on who we're around and what company we're in, we actually modify who we are to fit that setting. And and that's what Solomon is telling us here in this verse, is a duplicitous life is somebody who is, is fragmented and they're building these pieces with different personalities. And they come out depending on what situation they're in. I think oftentimes what we do is we alter our decisions based on who other people are. And really isn't that the the foundation of, well, racism, sexism, right? We look at who somebody else is and from what we see on the outside, we, we put this label on them and then therefore we change our attitude towards them. Or we change our attitude towards somebody based on how we feel about them. These are all parts of this duplicitous life. Solomon also has a few other things to, to tell us. So turn with me, um, same book, Proverbs, but we're going to look over in uh, chapter 28, verse 1. The wicked man flees, though nobody pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Again, the wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And so what Solomon is telling us here is that this duplicitous life, it actually leads to fear. When there's, there's really nothing for us to fear. We want to run and we want to cower from something that's, that's actually not even there. And, and why are we fearful? I, I think really that we're fearful of being caught. We're, we're afraid to be discovered for who we actually are. Because we've, in this duplicitous life, we've set up these different personalities and these different um, identities. And we're so afraid of somebody actually finding out the real us. That we begin to live in fear. Or maybe we have built up these personalities for so long that we don't even know who we are anymore. There's so many of them that we're confused. And we don't know who the real us is. Solomon goes on and he he gives us another idea in Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs 10, verse 9. The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. I'm in the repetitious mood, so I'll read it again. The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. Um, Mark Twain once said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. And that's that idea that once you lie one time, you're going to have to lie again to cover up that lie, and lie again and again and again, and all of a sudden you've built this house of lies. And depending on how many lives you actually live, and you have a set of lies for each life that you live, at some point, you can't keep track anymore. And it, it all comes crumbling down. So Solomon, he tells us that this uh, duplicitous life is, is one of many personalities, It's one that actually lives in fear, and that because of that fear, it develops all these lies. So that's duplicity, the negative. Let's take a look at integrity. And last week, we talked about integrity coming from the the Greek word, which is incorruptible. But in English, integrity comes from the word integer. And if you know much about math, you know that integer is a whole number, 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and the negatives. So we have this idea that integer is a a whole number, a complete number. And and I love the, the Latin word for integer, which literally means untouched. So now we have this idea that integrity is this wholeness, this completeness of being untouched. It's this continuity between what we say and what we actually do. Between what we mean and what we say and what we do. That they all line up together. They all work in tandem in a complete and orderly way, and I, I think this idea of integrity when we talk about things like untouched and being complete and whole, we then step back and we say, "Wait a second, that sounds like way too big of a task." I know, I know my history. I know where I've been. I know where I'm at right now. So it, it could be overwhelming. We look at it as, on the large scale, as this idea of being perfect, when actually, actually, integrity is not perfect. But that's, that's not actually what integrity is. Integrity isn't calling us to a perfect life. It's not calling us to a flawless life. It's actually calling us to a falseless life and understand the difference because I have found myself on the side of error many, many times. Just ask my wife. She's always right. And I, my hope is that when I do find myself on this side of error, that it's not because I was trying to be deceitful. Maybe the information I had just wasn't right. See, so we can be wrong and still have a good intention. And so that's what we're saying today is that we're not going to be perfect. We're still going to make mistakes, but the intention that lies behind that is good. So we see that integrity, last week we talked about integrity and truth and the relationship that those two have together. And that truth is something that we learn and experience and then that actually fuels and informs integrity. So to flip that around, integrity actually becomes the personification of truth. That the integrity that a person has actually represents the truth that they hold dear. See, integrity is not just who we are, but integrity is who we seek to become. Not only is it in the present tense, but it's also a future tense. Because it's a, a progress It's a progression. We just don't wake up one day and we find that we're full of integrity. So integrity, I think, also leads us to the idea of authenticity. And in today's world, I think a lot of people want to make that claim that, well, I'm authentic. Hey, man, I'm just keeping it real. I'm just being who I am. At least least I'm authentic. But see, the problem with that is that authenticity can be very lethal. And here's what I mean. How many of you guys have seen the movie, The Invention of Lying? Not lying down, but telling the truth. I'm sorry, but I was actually really disappointed by that movie. <laughs> sorry. Uh, and, and, and this isn't why. Even though I was disappointed, I'm still going to use it. Um, here's the premise. There's this, the main character, this guy who lives in a world where nobody can lie. Sounds good so far, right? So, It's not that people don't lie, that they don't want to lie. It's just that they can't. They're not capable. Lying hasn't actually been invented yet. They have no word for falsehood. They just, whatever comes to their mind comes out of their mouth. Imagine that. Imagine a world where everybody says what they are actually thinking. And then imagine that you are that person who maybe doesn't fit into what is considered normal. And then you begin to get the idea of how lethal authenticity can actually be. And the truth is, if your authentic intent is to kill me, I don't want you to be authentic, right? Our prisons are full of people who have acted out on their authentic motives and intentions. People who have felt something and they've acted out on it. And so do we commend them because they're authentic? No. We actually set up laws to keep us from being authentic. See, because this idea of being authentic is actually oftentimes an excuse for self-indulgence. For being selfish. And so we, we've had to build laws and construct laws so that we can't act selfishly and hurt other people. But we have to consider other people. And it's our human condition. But... To be authentic, what it, what it actually means, maybe a good metaphor is um, to look at a painter, an, an artist, somebody who creates a painting. We can look at that painting and say it's authentic because it was actually painted by the hand of the creator. See, what happens is something that's authentic is actually a reflection of the original. Not a copy, not a clone, but a reflection of the original. And what's authentic is genuine to the intent of the creator. And and I would have to suggest that that maybe we aren't really living out authentic lives if we don't understand who the creator was or what the original intent is. I I think maybe a a good way to understand this idea of um, duplicity and integrity is two pieces of glass, just two square pieces of glass. And you take them and you hold them up, take one and hit it with a hammer. And all of a sudden it will crack. It will have all these pieces. It will be fragmented. And then you could take an object like a rose and hold up this rose behind this fragmented piece of glass. And what do you see? You might be able to make out that it's red, You you might even be able to construct an idea of a flower, but it's not clear. And then you take that rose and you put it in front of the complete, the whole piece of glass, and you can see right through it. You understand what the flower is, and you can describe it to other people. So that gives us an idea of a, a life of duplicity and being guided by that duplicity and a life of integrity and being guided by integrity. I think authenticity and integrity actually lead us to this idea of integration. And turn with me, if you would, to uh, John chapter 17. And here we we see that we're going to step into the middle of a prayer. And and Jesus is praying, and I won't read the whole uh, chapter, but just what we need to. I'm going to start in verse 6. John 17, verse 6. I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world they were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name and the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And that's really the verse that I want to focus on. Here Jesus is giving us this idea of unity. He, he's saying, Father, you and I are one, and now I am leaving, so what I pray is that they would be one in me as I am one in you. So we have this idea of integration because integrity is actually born out of a relationship with God. We talked about truth and integrity. And here we see that authenticity in the context of integrity is actually a beautiful and wonderful thing. But authenticity without integrity can be horrible. And so this integrity that's born out of a relationship with God then flows through us and it flows into our relationships with other people. I think it's interesting that, that in Scripture we're told to fear God and nobody else. And I think oftentimes we look at that and we say, well, we're supposed to fear this, this man in the sky, this tyrant, because he just wants to oppress us. Well, I think if we looked at look at it in the terms of duplicity and this duplicitous life that actually lives in fear for being discovered who they really are. And yet scripture tells us fear in God only because then you have nothing else to fear. If you fear me, which is actually a healthy reverence for who God is, then you don't have to fear any of the obstacles that you're going to face that you can be used in magnificent, wonderful ways, and you don't have to be afraid of what might happen to you along the way. So this fear in God is actually something that releases us rather than binds us. So authenticity through the context of integrity. And I would say that you can't have true authenticity without integrity. Integrity. I used, to, uh, I used to drive a Mustang, yeah, a black Mustang, and this car was, it was beautiful, and I was, I was leasing it, and I had a lease for three years, and I was about three or four months away from the end of the lease, and you know, at the end of the lease, you have a few options. You can either decide to buy the car, you could turn the car in and lease something else, or you could just turn it in and walk away from it. Well, this car was a chick magnet. Just asked my wife, it's the only reason she dated me. <laughs> I don't know why she's still with me. I don't have the car. <laughs> so I was about three or four months away from the end of this lease, and I'm, I'm in this accident. Airbags deployed. The, the front is just tweaked. And, and the insurance company comes out, and they take a look at it, and they say, you know what? Yeah, we're, we're going to go ahead and fix this. But you see, the frame of the car was actually bent. And oftentimes, when the frame of the car is bent, the insurance company will just total it. And and why is that? Because the the frame no longer has integrity, but it's been touched. It's been bent. And even though they have machines that can bend that frame straight again, it's no longer the way it was. And so they fixed the car, they they put the frame back so it was straight, and they, they made it look beautiful again. And actually, it might have looked even better than before the accident. But when that time came up to make a decision, I just walked away from it. I turned it into the dealer. They knew what happened. But see, I was, I was concerned that, you know what? The next person who comes along to buy this car, are, are they going to know? Is the dealer going to tell them what happened to it? Probably not. So that person comes to the dealer and they look at the car and on the exterior, it's beautiful. But what they don't know is that it lacks integrity. So they have this perception of this car that is full of integrity. And I think oftentimes that's what we do, is we look at people and we say, that person has integrity, but it's all based on a perception. And I think oftentimes what happens is that we begin to trust that person that we believe has integrity. The trust builds up and we respect what they say and what they do, but then at some point they have this power. And maybe they abuse us with that power. So then we begin to connect the dots that integrity leads to power, leads to abuse. And we've all heard the saying that absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? That idea that if you give somebody power, you're going to find out who they really are. And I think we live in in a world here in America where we say all politicians are corrupt. It's a similar idea. See, the problem with that is that nobody's ever had absolute power, Well, actually, there's been one person who has had absolute power. So maybe it would be a good idea to look at this person and see what they did with that absolute power. So we'll do do that. We're going to look at uh, John chapter 13. And I'm going to read uh, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. At one point, God decided to enter humanity and to, to live, to be born and to live like a human, like all of us. And and God decided to put his divine omnipotence, his, his absolute power on hold. But then here we're told that Jesus actually has that back again. That he has absolute power to do whatever he wants. So let's see what he does. Go up two verses to verse Uh, one. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Wait a second. Wait a second. If absolute power corrupts absolutely, then here is the only person who's ever had absolute power. And what are we told? That he shows the full extent of his love. That doesn't make sense. What would, you, what would you do if you had absolute power? And, and in this chapter, we see that he goes on and he washes the feet of all of his disciples. And so what we learn is that absolute power with perfect or undiluted love actually results in servanthood, not tyranny. See, because if you take power minus integrity you have this will to power. If you take power plus integrity, you have this will to empower. And and last week we talked about the difference between um, being humble and being prideful. And prideful wants to be lifted up. And those who are full of humility, they want to lift others up. See, here's the same thing. Power without integrity wants power power with integrity, wants to give power away so that other people can live courageous lives through that power. What, what a, an amazing verse to see that here's this God that can do whatever he wants and yet he chooses to be a servant. It really doesn't seem to make sense to us. I want to take a look at, at one other uh, character in the Bible and we find him. This is King David in Psalms. And we're going to take a look at uh, Psalm 78, verse 70 through 72. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. He led them. So here's this idea that there's this boy who was really a a sheep herder. He took care of sheep. But at one point, God chose this person to be the one who would actually tend his people. That he would be the one to look over God's people. And we see that, that David was skillful. That David had talents and strengths and intellect. And he was able to use all those things to be a successful king. But see, that's not what actually qualified him. What qualified David was his integrity of heart. See, without the integrity of heart, all of his skills would have been for naught. God wouldn't have been able to use David unless he had that integrity of heart. And then it's from that context that he could begin to use and develop those skills and strengths and talents that he had. I think oftentimes in Christianity and in the spiritual realm, we see spiritual leaders who are lifted up through the ranks, who are hired because their skill set is amazing. They have the talent to communicate and to inspire people. But at some point they end up falling and we look at, well, why? And it's because they lacked character. Because we promoted people based on talents and not character. And I think maybe we need to ask ourselves the same thing. What what do you and what do I emphasize? Do we emphasize the development of our skill? Or do we emphasize the development of our character? See, authenticity with integrity. We are not only true to ourselves, but we are bound to truth. And if we're authentic, wherever that truth leads us, we will follow. And I think one way to maybe gauge or to meter if integrity is beginning to take hold inside of us is to ask ourselves, are we doing the right thing because we know that's what's expected, because doing the right thing is just the right thing? Or do we actually long from our heart to do the right thing? See, the interesting thing is that integrity actually, it narrows our decisions down. We no longer have a vast... Array of options. But when you have integrity, you're left with doing only what's right. I, I, I want to close this section on integrity with um, the words of Irwin, who in his book closed the chapter on integrity with, uh, with this thought. He writes, It's a wonderful thing to look inside your own heart and like what you see. I think that could be a piercing question. The idea of maybe sifting through all the personalities that we've developed and finding the real one. The real us. And then saying that I like what I see. But that's exactly what God wants us to do is to take a look inside and peel away the exterior and is there is there something inside that is lovely? And beautiful. And if not, then how do we change? How do we become people of integrity? See, we have that idea that authenticity is a reflection of the Creator. And what you need to understand is that your Creator desires that you reflect Him, that you would be genuine to His intent that you would live this amazing life connected to Him, then you would have an impact on other people. See, because this whole quest for um, honor is really a quest for character. And it's a quest for the character of God, because God desires that we are actually examples of who He is, that we reflect Him, that we're not bad copies or clones of a fragmented idea. But we're actually genuine. Genuine. But we can't have that until we have this relationship with God who instills in us truth and therefore integrity and authenticity. And then we can be an expression of that to the world. Would you guys pray with me? Father God, I I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this breeze. It feels so good. Lord, I thank you again for integrity. For this idea of authenticity that... uh, although it's so clouded and muddied in the world that we live in today that we can actually look to you and see what authenticity really means. And that authenticity without integrity is so harmful. So what we pray is that you would help us to live lives of integrity, to be somebody that other people can trust in, and we won't abuse their power the very thought that you had absolute power and yet you decided to use it to serve other people. I don't know of a better example in Scripture of the way that we should act. We have this amazing power that is given to us through you and we're called to use it to empower other people. Father, I pray that our souls would not be settled until we begin to live lives full of integrity. that we would begin to be an expression of who you are, of your character and your virtues. We thank you that you first loved us and you so desire to connect us to you, that you are willing to follow us to whatever depth and whatever dark place in order to pull us out. If we would only take a look inside to peel away the exterior and ask ourselves, do we like what we see? And it's at that point that we can look to you to begin to develop something that is beautiful and courageous. So, Father, we thank you and we pray all these things in the name of Christ, who is our perfect example. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.